Welcome to the IT Smart Guy podcast, a technology podcast aimed at the modern business owner. And here's your host, Tony Edwards. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the IT Smart Guy podcast, the tech-based podcast for the modern business owner. I'm Tony, and in this episode, we will talk about the launch of ChatGPT4, the recent price hike by Google Workspace, and the new AI-powered tool from Microsoft, Copilot. We're then going to hear from Max Kent of PSL Group and hear how digital procurement can help businesses. Finally, as always, at the end, I'll be sharing my tip of the episode. Let's jump straight in to the news. Let's look at what's happening in the news. First up this week, let's talk ChatGPT4. For those who don't know, ChatGPT is a large language model developed by a company called OpenAI. And it's capable of generating human-like responses to a wide range of queries. And with the launch of ChatGPT4, we can expect even more from the platform. So much so, they are expecting it to be 10 times better, or 10 times more, of its predecessor, ChatGPT3, which means it can process more complex inputs and generate more realistic and coherent responses. And with this new release, we can also expect even more breakthroughs Uh, in natural language processing and the potential for new applications and use cases in industries such as customer service and education. Moving on, now I want to touch on the recent price hike by Google Workspace. Google Workspace is a suite of productivity tools that includes Gmail, Google Drive, Google Docs and more. But starting this month, Google have raised the prices of their business and enterprise plans, citing the need to invest in new features and security measures. Now, this price increase has left many small business owners and freelancers especially frustrated because they're now having to pay more for the same set of tools. However, it is important to note that Google Workspace still offer competitive pricing and their tools do remain some of the most user-friendly on the market. And let's face it, we are in a cost-of-living crisis still, Prices are going up on everything. Um, it's just a shame, really, that it's the small business owners and the freelancers that feel it more than the bigger businesses. Lastly, Microsoft announced uh, on the 16th of March a new AI-powered tool, Copilot. Copilot is their new AI assistant, and it's designed to help developers write better code. And it's been built on top of the GPT language model. It can suggest code snippets, provide real-time feedback, and even help with debugging. Now, Copilot has generated a lot of buzz in the developer community, with some praising its ability to speed up the coding process, and others are expressing concerns about its potential to automate jobs that were previously done by humans. Regardless of this, Copilot represents a significant step forward in the integration of AI and software development. And I think we can expect to see many, many more innovations in this space in the coming years. Microsoft also announced that as part of Copilot, they are integrating it with Microsoft 365. They It will be able to help you write proposals based on meeting notes, generate um, sales propo- uh, presentations, help with Excel spreadsheets and more. Um, So it's definitely something to keep your eyes on if you are a Microsoft user. 
Uh, but that is it right now for the news. Let's get on to the good stuff. We're going to the interview. But before we go to the interview, if you do have an interesting tech story, if you run a business, or maybe you're a technology provider and you want to come onto the show and have a chat about what you can offer businesses, you can do just that. All you need to do is go to the link in the show notes and apply to be a guest. The application takes a few minutes and who knows what it could lead to. Improved brand awareness, more social media followers, boosted revenue, or maybe it's just a platform for you to share. Either way, you'll get something from it. So what have you got to lose? The interview. So we now come to the interview part of the podcast. And today I'm really happy to have an old friend join the uh, show. He is the CEO of PSL Group and his name is Mr. Max Kent. Let's bring him into the show now. Hey, Max, how's it going? Hi, Tony. How are you, mate? I'm very well. Uh, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come onto the show. Um, it's it's good to see you. We, you know, it's been so long since we've you know spoken to each other virtually, let alone seen each other face to face. I think the last time we saw each other face to face was in that pub in Bath Ooh. between lockdowns one and two. That's right. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Very nice it was too to see you. But yeah, it's not not the same as when we used to sit next to each other and, and our desks were next to each other. That no, was, uh, no, a lot, a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably too much fun and not quite enough work. Yeah, some would say. Yeah, but I still think we smashed it. Anyway, we did. Um, I digress. Max, um, like I said, thank you so much for coming on to the show. If you can uh, just give us a quick intro into who you are, what you do, and that sort of thing, that'd be great. Of course, yeah. Thanks, Tony. So um, I'm Max Ken. Um, PSL Group is a business that I started with my business partner, Paula Stay. Um, about six months ago. So we have got two entities in the group. What we do is procurement um, and contract management services for schools and education. So that's looking at the data that schools have through um, their accounts payable system, through their invoices, through their purchase orders, looking how we optimise that, looking at their first categories. You know, some of the, you'll know me from um, my work in office supplies and um with education supplies and and those sort of companies and suppliers so that's that's still our first category that we look at paula has um over 30 years experience and as um in the office supplies industry and was a bid manager and contract manager in loads of different uh corporates so she really knows her stuff when it comes to the pricing so she does a lot of the day-to-day work on the procurement contract side we do work and bring in various specialists on certain categories and things like that. There's more and more of that starting to happen, mainly around specialists who understand um, public sector regulations and tendering compliance, because that is becoming an increasingly difficult area where the multi-academy trusts we work with are really, really concerned about whether they're being compliant. So that's one side of the business. The other side is PS Learning, and that is working with business development managers and salespeople to help them um, find the right career path, to learn how to sell and take them through basic sales training and other sales training areas where they may not have that grounding in it. Um, Helping them out of the roles they're in if they want to look for a better role, helping them get quick wins in their current role um, and putting in a lot of systems and sort of project management tools to help them on their career. So working with quite a few, and that's been quite a new thing, but that's really, really rewarding. Um, I was a sales leader for as you know, for many years. So 
um, when we started this business, I was really keen to continue working with younger aspiring salespeople just to help them and give them the bits that I learned as I was coming up through and sort of pass it on. So that's been really rewarding. Um, yeah. And the, the only other thing to mention is that I, um, as you can see behind me, I've got a load of music kit and I was into uh, music. I did a music degree, um, uh, music technology degree years ago. And when I started my business six months ago, I said to myself, I wanted to relaunch all of that. So I've been um, releasing albums and singles and running a monthly event. We've had about 200 people come to our monthly event that I headline and bring in local DJs and stuff. And we do that once a month now. Um, so that's really kicking off and it's been brilliant. So it sounds like a bit of a crazy mix, but it's it's through a lot of sort of soul searching and experience of what I, what I wanted to do. This is where I've ended up. So I'm happy doing that. And it's um, been great so far. So that's me in a nutshell. Takes a while to explain it all, though. It's quite funny how you said uh, there. Bits, uh, you know, it took a lot of soul searching and those sorts of things. Because uh, I remember, yeah, just before, well, November twenty nineteen, I was doing the very same. Mm. Um, so much so that at a uh, conference I was at, where I was doing audio visual stuff as I would on an annual basis, I sat behind the behind the stage and actually registered the, my company. Yeah. I'd become that, I, you know, I've had conversations with people that I'd known, people that I'd only just met as well that were, you know, saying, oh, maybe you should look at something new. And, yeah. you know, that was kind of the day where I decided maybe it's time to, and, you know, three, th almost three years later, this, um, we're doing this. It's, it's, it's strange. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so pleased for you that you've made it work. It's amazing to see you see you three years later doing this and, and I've gone out and done it because it's not easy. Self-employment is difficult. And, um, and, you know, we were speaking about it earlier. I think the difference between employment and self-employment is employment, you're going to get paid on the day they say, well, unless there's something going wrong, you're going to get your salary paid on that day. Pretty much your bills come out and that's good done you don't worry about it self-employment no one seems to want to pay you on the day they're going to pay you so you end up chasing invoices a lot of the time which takes up a lot of time and then means you're juggling money a lot it takes it so it takes you longer to get to a stable platform where the finances are just working and that's yeah. the transition i think a lot of people have to go through um and it's not for everyone because i think a lot of people don't like that stress don't like that whole well hang on a minute i don't know if i can pay the bills this month might be able to pay them in a week's time, but not on the day I said I was going to pay them because things just haven't happened. And I think that does get a lot easier as you get through it, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. But then on the flip side, I think we both we both know people that have been self self employed for X number of years, almost yeah. play at it. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, true. And then you and you wonder how they've made any money at all, let alone. Because they just seem to be, you know, playing all the time. And it's like, where's the hard work coming? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it depends Depends what your cash flow is like, doesn't it, really? I think if you've got yeah. money and you can just play it doing a business, then that's great. But I think, you, as you know, playing at a business will never really get you much traction unless you're incredibly lucky or you've, you know, just invented the iPhone or something. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not it's not like that it is hard work. It's it should be hard work, but it should be enjoyable. It should be what you love doing and that's why you work hard at it. I think that's the difference. Oh, absolutely. Isn't it? Yeah. So, so so yeah. Um next question. You again you talked about what you're doing now. 
How did you get started in, you know, let's say in the office, again, uh, you mentioned office supplies and that's where, how I met you. Let's start with office supplies and work from starting office supplies to now. What was okay, that journey go, like? Let's go way back then. Um, let's go back, back in time. Um, so we'll go to, um, I think it, it was around 2000, I did my university degree. Um, my university degree had an element of self-promotion, digital marketing and graphic design in it. So I started designing packaging for toner cartridges. So um, I worked for a remanufactured toner cartridge company in Wells in Somerset. Um, and I started to learn all the HP toners and learned all the, the fact that there was a whole industry in getting remanufactured cartridges, putting the ink back in them, selling them back out, laser cartridges, full um, HP branded laser cartridges at the time were two, three times the price of a remanufactured one. So it's a big saving to be made and a big margin to be made, load of profit in it. Um, so I understood that market, got quite into it. And we had, um, I ended up doing various jobs. So I was quite young. So it's sort of like an office dog's body, really doing some of the graphic design, but also ended up buying the stationery. So I started getting into all the stationery catalogs. My dad worked in, um, he was head of art at um, Trowbridge College for years and years. So he always used to bring back the consortium catalog and um, the office depot catalog and stuff. And I'd always be leafing through them and seeing all the pens. And I was fascinated by it all. I just loved the fact there's a whole range of stuff in a catalog that I could look at. And then I could show the catalog to people and go, well, how much of this stuff would you want? And set, like, sell it to people. I was doing that since I was like five years old. So um always loved the fact that there was a range of products and that service for people and that's really what got me into it when i started buying stationery lyrico came around and said well you could come and work for us if you like it that much and every six months you get a brand new golf and um you get a pay rise and i think that she was on the lady was on i don't know five grand a year more than i was and i was like what you just drive around and sell stationery to people you get a free car and she's like, yeah. It's like, right, I'll do that then. So I just quit, went for a job interview, got the job. Um, they'd never done sales before. Um, and Lyrico put you through four weeks of intense sales training, which is really like a grain silo. And I think there must have been 40 people on that course. By the end of it, there was about six. So it really just cuts everyone down, gives you this training. By the end of it, you're just chanting your statements, chanting your... Would you like to buy this? You know, you the person who buys the stationery and you're in this office. Would can I speak to the decision maker? I can still remember it all now. We just drill it into you. Then they give you a box of catalogues and you go out. And I had four towns: Shepton Mallet High Street, Froome, Glastonbury, Wells. Monday morning, nine o'clock. You're in Wells Town Centre. You've got a bag of catalogues. You just got to walk down the high street, go in every single door, see if they're going to buy stationery, and then every single one of them tells you where to go, and that you end up down the bottom of the high street going, well, that was not what I was expecting. I thought everyone would love me. And um, and, <laughs> and they don't. And and then you start to get one person goes, oh, go on then, give us a price. And that's when it starts. And you start to learn your confidence. But if you've got to go through that um, to get any kind of grounding in sales and stuff. So that's what gave me my grounding in office supplies. But I ended up at Lyrico for 10 years. Um, went from field sales, which was just sort of up to about 40 grand a month territory. I think I had about 500 customers, a lot of them spending small amounts, small businesses, solicitors, stuff on a units on a trading estate, that sort of stuff. Went up into public sector. And then I started looking after um, framework business. So I learned all about public sector regulations, how a framework works, how um, 
Lyrico had quite a few university and college frameworks where they had the main preferred supplier agreement, but it was our job to go out and win the individual colleges under the framework. So we'd go out and sell a more strategic deal to them. So I started to learn all that side. From there, I went to new business. So it was pure new business. At that point, I was just looking at winning the largest accounts in the company in the nationally London-based head offices. And that was purely where they start you off. They just give you a spreadsheet of names. And it's got stuff like British Airways and Harrods on it. And you just got to start picking up the phone. But by that point, I was sort of six years in, had the experience and the confidence to do it. So if you've got that grounding, you go into a proper new business role you've sort of got the skills and the knowledge to do it. And I um, I think I went about a million pound over my target. And then the commission wasn't quite what I was expecting to get. So um, I then um, left and set my own business and thought I could do this myself. So I then went out on my own, set my own business up and started contracting with um, office supplies wholesalers to do deals directly. So I was just doing new business and taking a profit. Um, which worked really well, but then my wife got pregnant. So it was, it was the cash flow was became a lot more critical that it was stable. So at that point yeah. was when I um, started working with Auditel, um, met you, um, and yeah, started working. That was all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, and then, yeah, and that was when we started getting in, you know, started getting in office supplies into the Auditel network and bringing suppliers in and that worked really well for a, for a good few years and um, we had a lot of fun doing it and really started to bring an office supplies proposition into auto where previously they had done bits but it was more about energy and utilities and that side of procurement so that was a lot of fun um, I then started working with complete software where that was working with Auditel to start off with to look at the data but more looking at um, purchase to pay systems and purchasing software um, and I started again going back to education where I'd learned all that from Lyrico so my I had a real affinity with the education sector I really want to go back there so I started taking complete back into the education sector we did a load of um, great projects actually um, I then um, um, complete then had um, some changes and then I um, made the decision to go in a different direction, um, working with Complete to migrate some of the customer deals we had across. So we managed to bring some of the procurement deals we had, um, and we continue working with some of those customers now. Um, my business partner, Paula, does a lot of the real detailed contract work. As I said, she's got a lot of experience from that part of the world, that background. So she does a lot of the day-to-day -day work, which means I can focus on a lot of the marketing, the sales, we are really careful on what customers we take on and what deals we do because we're pretty much at capacity. So we have to build the next one in very carefully. But what that's doing is um, around all that, we're building training courses. So the PS learning side will be to train other people to become bid managers, to become contract analysts and really sort of use Paula's skills to teach people how to fish rather than sort of doing it for them. So that's yeah. where we're going to take the business because there's only two of us. We really want to put those resources into some training packages and coaching. We've got two really great opportunities at the moment. We're working with um, a major global software provider to provide a training course for their sales team. So we're going to be building, delivering that in the next sort of three to four months. And also with a main uh, one of the main accounting membership bodies as well. Similar training course is they want around getting their guys to understand procurement, digital software and how that works. So 
that's um, really the direction that we're going in much more towards coaching, training and and imparting the knowledge we've got, um, helping others, really. So that's that's where we're at. That's the history, though. There you go. Cool. So obviously, you know, let's go right back to the start. You know, when you were in office supplies, a lot of yeah. it was shoe leather and picking up the phone, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Where is it Absolutely. now? Absolutely. All remote. So well, where should um, it be now? Where should office? Wow. I mean, so what we do really with the schools a lot of times, so we're working to evaluate this contract spends. So you've got a lot of um, when you look at the schools and education market with office supplies, you've got a lot of companies there saying well, we're a provider to school, so you should be buying from us. And that means we're the cheapest. We're doing a lot of evaluation work that actually is proving otherwise. A lot of the companies have jumped on the cost of living crisis. Prices have gone up around 40 to 50 percent just on January the 1st. And a lot of those companies will put their prices again up on April the 1st. So it's like a double whammy of increases just by staying with the company you've been loyal to for the last few years. And, you know, a lot of those um, schools and trusts we deal with might have one procurement person. They could be looking after some of them over 100 million of spend, maybe five to seven thousand suppliers. Um, their their work will be tied up in being compliant on the big contracts. So they'll never get to office and education supplies. So these businesses will get away with it unless it's looked at. Um, and we're coming and saying, look, there's, there's another set of prices here. You can link it to software. There's another way to buy things. We've evaluated it all. Um, and you should be buying. So this is where office supplies should be right now. Compliant pricing should be evaluated pricing across the board. So Amazon Business, for example, will come in and sweep away a lot of the business because they've got they've got five million product range, probably more, versus a corporate supplier might have 50,000 lines in their catalogue. So people will go, we'll buy from Amazon. We did an evaluation, Amazon versus, um, I think it was another school supplier. Amazon was 600% more expensive. So everyone will go, Amazon's a marketplace, so they're all competing against each other. It's going to be cheaper. It's not. It's, it's, it's down to the margins on that volume of product that that individual is selling via the Amazon marketplace. So that's completely different to if you went to a corporate supplier and said, we buy 50,000 boxes of paper or 50,000 sheets of paper a year, what's the price you give us for the whole year? Those suppliers can't do that. They also can't tell you when they're going to deliver it, where it's going to be. And where it's at now is they, a lot of companies are now, it's on electric vans. They're reducing deliveries to reduce carbon emissions. They're proving a life cycle of where that product's come from, from its inception. So where was it produced? Was it produced in a sustainable way? What am I, and so that's, that's where office supplies is trying to get to is, actually proving to the people that it's selling to where it's come from and are they thinking about sustainability what's the most efficient way they can get that product to you price and service so it's optimizing everything because you know people are buying less of it less and less of it every single day so yeah cool um so yeah amazon business again i think when you were talking about that triggered something in my mind sitting through business supplies training first time you delivered it and it all about and it being about that basket of goods that that really mm. hasn't changed does it it's always going to be about what's in your shopping basket and your, the stuff you're buying regularly is where you're going to get essentially your best prices Is that yeah right? yeah so yeah absolutely right so just uh, it's a complex subject and it blows people's minds and even some of the businesses we work with 
we'll do the full tender and come back and the pricing will be way way different to one of the bids and I go how they managed to do that and then you have to explain to them about core pricing versus non-core pricing and it's basically one one side of the catalog will have an RRP price which is massively inflated and then the business will give say we'll give you 60% off all of that which is still massively expensive they'll then look at the volumes on all the stuff you buy regularly and go well that's your core contract product pricing list so we'll give you some really good pricing on that and that'll smash everything else be far cheaper than anyone else and everyone else will look at it and go how are they managing to do that pricing because they're making it back on the other side so what we do is try to get the balance so it's a 50 50 so it's yes you've got great pricing here but you've also got great pricing on everything else you buy in because you'll just go to amazon otherwise i mean one of the businesses we work with we looked at their data they were spending a million pounds on office supplies across all their sites 225 grand of that was with Amazon Business, and they have no idea until we plugged the spend analytics in to show them where they were spending the money. They thought it was all going through their preferred supplier, and it wasn't. So it's it's just it's leakage everywhere, and people thinking, well, it's just um, you know, if I put it all with one company, they're just going to make it all back. Well, you've got to look at the basket. You've got to look at what the overall saving was. How much were you spending on all of this last year versus what you'll spend this year? Yeah. Um, and you can't do it by comparing one line to another. It's just, it's, it's, it's sort of what they want you to do, really. So, with digital, you know, procurement as, you know, going back seven, eight, nine years, lots, yeah. especially within, you know, where we've come from, um, it was all spreadsheet based, wasn't it, if you remember? Oh, lots yeah. and lots of spreadsheets. We've then seen the innovation of um, procure to pay, purchase to pay solutions such as Complete and others. other solutions are available. Um, mm. How do you think that's going to ch- continue to change and evolve over the next three, five, ten years? So, yeah, spreadsheet-wise, going back, there is still some spreadsheets out there and um procurement as a function is is a difficult has a bumpy ride really because the um the business will always see procurement as just saving costs and as you know procurement has been fighting for years to say well we're not that we are all about supplier relationships and service improvements efficiencies um the carbon the sustainability stuff now coming into it as well who's got the best relationship with the supplier to look at and ask them about what they're doing for their carbon impact scope three obviously impacts through the supply chain so procurement need to have that conversation so that's fine but i don't think that's still resonating up to the board level enough so you still see quite a lot of redundancies a lot of software companies i've seen a few this week chopping teams chopping procurement out of it because they they're not getting the traction and they don't necessarily understand the level they need to be in at to make it work um it's it, yeah it's, it's it does get a bit of a bumpy ride i think once the businesses really understand the strategic function of procurement and they they embrace that that's when it really can succeed and do you think like did you know outsource procurement and digital solutions being you know part of that future more and more yeah. especially with these you know you, you know some big you know you mentioned that you know there are a lot of big companies making lots of redundancies right now do you think yeah. that's the way they're going to start to look to go get you know because the whole beauty of outsourcing is you get 
all that expertise for a lot lower price, predominantly. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and there's definitely a lot of outsourcing going on. There's still you know, all those companies out there. And I think, you, you know, where budgets get stretched, especially in the public sector, it makes a lot of sense to bring in a consultant to do a piece of work and then they don't have to go through the whole thing. We don't need that person anymore. So they can turn it on and off. It's just so much easier. So I think they all like that arrangement. Um, I think I haven't seen so much contingency share of savings that that I don't see so much in the outsourced procurement market anymore. It seems to be a lot more around fixed prices, project fees, retainers, that kind of thing. Most of the businesses we work with much prefer knowing what the price is up front and setting that so it's not it's not open ended. Um, no, I think in that you know because the, the cost of living crisis has probably opened a lot of people's eyes with that and the yeah. uh, you know try to sell no win no fee or you know contingent on savings was hard enough ten years ago. Yeah, I think now where every penny matters even more than it did you know, a few years ago probably makes that sale make that makes that type of sale a lot, lot harder. Uh, yeah, transparency. Absolutely. From what you know, from what I've found in the, over the last couple of years, being transparent with prices just makes it so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. On, just, on both sides yeah, then, on both sides of the sales um yeah. customer or yeah, it goes against the sort of logic of the things we were told 10 years ago, you know, never talk about price, don't mention it, you know, negotiate, that sort of stuff. It's just so much easier. This Now, I think sales has changed so much and the way businesses interact, is, it's, it's a lot more remote, but you've got to be really um, credible, trustworthy, and I think open and honest. The more you can be like that, the more likely you are to get business. It's, it's kind of, everyone just wants that integrity, don't they? So, um I think that's, that's that goes a long way. But just taking it back to the technology question you asked there about purchase to pay software and how that's changed yeah. for procurement people and implementing those kind of technologies. What's what I've seen over the last five years is the price point come right down. So, gosh, when I was uh, back in the Lyrico days at universities, they were implement, implementing systems like Aggresso and Parabolis and Oracle. And they were hugely expensive just to integrate the punch out from Aggresso to Lyrico was like a five grand cost, I think, per year, just to set up a, a link between the two businesses. Um, a lot of that stuff sort of pre-integrated now comes pre-canned when you sell the software. So it's not like you have to set that up. Those companies, the suppliers want to work with the purchase to pay companies because they know it drives compliance. They know that once that system goes in and all the end users are buying through the software, the procurement team can switch off all the other suppliers and then that they they are much more likely to get all the business so there's yeah. a lot of work we do with that a lot of work where we work with software partners to go okay well who are you in with and then we'll link the pricing and the contracts and the suppliers we've got into that which is going to give the people you sell it to a package service because they get great prices integrated suppliers and a software that's probably going to pay for itself within the roi and the savings you're going to make so that's the sort of way it's going. You couldn't do those sort of no-brainer ROIs with software two or three years ago because they were, the cost was so much higher. Um, and the other problem was that previously with software, going back to Oracle and stuff like that, um, what we saw, what I experienced was there was a lot of consultancy work involved in, in the integrations. So when it's all very well to get that system in place, but there is such an open-ended set of products and modules that you could get with that 
and most most of those companies will obviously want to sell you everything they want you to have the whole lot because they will see that it benefits you to have the full suite of everything so you can manage everything most companies really don't need that they might need one part of it but really not understand which part so when you say oh you need p to p but not source to contract um you need you need spend analytics but you don't necessarily need finance reporting they'll go uh well, can you show me what you mean by that? Because I've just been sold this. I don't. I thought I needed all of it. You could save yourself thousands by really taking the time to understand the modules within the software that are really going to make the difference in your business. A lot of the time, it's just um, the key for me is purchase purchase order optimization. So it's just getting that control on who the end users in the business are buying from, which suppliers, um, and which prices. So procurement can control that. That could give you twenty percent savings just just by getting the right process in place before you even looked at procurement and tendering and and all that sort of thing. So that's that's really where the software's going downstream, plug and play, pre-integrated, much more affordable, much more easy to use. A lot of better apps coming out as well. So they've got better apps. You can approve orders. You can order on your phone on the fly. All that sort of stuff for a fraction of the price that it used to be. So um yeah that's what's happening yeah we're seeing similar movements in my industry so um you know most it support companies will have some form of professional service automation and remote monitoring solution and over the last three to five years most people have been buying either a dato a kaseya or a Connectwise or something like that and they're these yeah, big yeah. soft you know big it software houses they give you yep. this and that and all these features and for especially the smaller, more nimble IT support companies, it's way it's you know the, the price is massive. Yeah. Um and it which makes it unaffordable, which means that lots, you know, when I started I couldn't afford that. So I was doing everything on a spreadsheet and, yeah. and my CRM. So I any, yeah. anything any ticket that I had, it would go in on my CRM as a task. I'd then use my spreadsheet to work out what I, you know what what things needed to be changed and then work it back. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of the best companies. Sorry, I was just going to say it's a subscription thing, isn't it? It's the best companies, yeah. the ones that give that first to get you started on a free license because when you're starting up, you need it. Yeah, and they don't. And that's exactly what I did. Once I had enough budget to be able to look at, you know, improving that from you know the, a spreadsheet linked in with my CRM. You know, yeah. there's, you know, and uh, what are they? There's a Terra, there's Synchro, there's Halo. There's all these other yeah. smaller companies that are coming up. They don't necessarily have the full feature set that, like I said, a ConnectWise or a Dato have, but they're growing, they're changing, they're pricing aggressively to get some form of market share. And I've used two yeah. of the, the smaller ones. And the reason I moved from one to the other was because the other one offered a few more integrations, which I thought might be useful. So... I think I've only used one of them so far. <laughs> well, but, well, you, again, I did, yeah, I did make know, a move but... on price. The price was the same. I made the move because they, they had some more integrations, which I thought might have been more useful. Yeah, 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 yeah. And But that's still sort of more fit for purpose for you, isn't it? At least you yeah. did your homework to find out what you needed because you could have spent a hell of a lot more if you just say you're in a company. It's your first role. You've been told to buy a system. They come in and go, well, you know, we're the market leader. We've got all these things. You're going to need them all. Great. All right. I sign up for that. And then yeah. two months later, they go, well, yeah, if you want that bit, that's you're going to need 14 days of consultancy to implement yeah. it. 
and it's sort of like, well, I didn't know about that. Well, that's that's our professional services charge. Yep. And it's like, oh, right. Well, we haven't budgeted for that. We haven't got the money for that. So what do we do now? We're stuck. So that's that's the problem that happens. So it's all about that whole thing being accessible to the right markets. And it's, it's all coming downstream and lots more free licenses. I think some of these companies are doing stuff, aren't they, with... Um, I think HubSpot's done quite a good free license now for CRM and website creation, hasn't it? So there's a few. Yeah, there. I mean, their, their free version was, you know, I used that up until about six months ago. But uh, yeah, because to, to even go on to starter, it was like, I think it was £100 per user per month. Yeah. Um, but that's now, you know, it's now, they've now cut that. It's, I think it's about, I think I pay about 30 quid a month. Yeah. And that just, gets me, yeah. you know, loads more bits. I've got a little bit of email email automation in there and some other bits and pieces. But again, yeah. I'm, I've barely scratched the surface with that. Yeah, um, yeah. And you don't need to. And that's, that's just such a massive, complex program, which you don't need all of that right now, do you? You might do, but you don't need to buy it all now. No. And that's that's the difference, isn't it? That's the problem. Yeah. Where, where self-employed, smaller business will do the homework because they've got to protect their resources. A company probably less so unless they're really experienced in procurement and they really do get into the detail and pick into it even then if they don't know the industry they don't know software it's the first time they've done a, a p2p full-blown software tender or something like that i mean it's just a minefield you don't know what you're going to end up with unless you really really do your homework um so that's 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 the bit we help companies with more and more um just to help them avoid you know, buying the wrong system or buying bits of a system that they don't need, all sorts. We get we get a bit involved in that, and it's just yeah. What we've seen is the the price point of all of the technology coming down, so it's just accessible for more and more businesses. You think about the smaller businesses; they really could access these kind of tools. It'd be brilliant. You know, why wouldn't you? If you're running your business and you're out and about, you want to buy something, buy it on your phone, raises a purchase order, got the paper trails, brilliant. But not if you're going to pay fifty grand a year for it. So. You know, if 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 you can get that and the small bit, you know, smaller business, if your company grows, it's it's brilliant. The technology is fantastic, and it needs to be getting better all the time. Yeah. So does the price. And that's the thing. A lot, I think, a lot of these software houses are opening their eyes to the fact that if they start their price point low per user per month, as companies scale, yeah. that's where they start making their money. Yeah. Because the cost it. of yeah. producing that software is this, and then they just build the volume there. Um, well, it's an whereas- argument. It- Years ago, it was the other way around. The software was so expensive for for even one user. So places would buy, if they had to, they'd buy one license and they'd share that license. Now they don't need to because the scales have tipped in the other way. Well, it was mostly in the cloud now, wasn't it? I mean, a lot of software back in the day was you'd get a CD or DVD and then have to install it on your desktop. So, you know, that's, that's changed or download it from the cloud and install it. But now it's most things are fully cloud. Yeah, You get the argument when you, when, if you're going to sell a piece of software and you say this is a hundred thousand pounds a year and the business says to you, well, you've already made the software though. So well, you're just selling something you've already created. The argument is, well, if you want to pay for all the R and D, we can charge you a percent of that instead, yeah. um, which, is, which is obviously going to be a, a much bigger number. So I think businesses don't necessarily realize the amount of effort and work that goes into any of these software platforms. There's such an amount of development that goes into it and ongoing um but then there's companies that that come into it with a different view a different new companies come into it and go well we've seen what the market's doing we've done it this way um 
and made it made it optimized from the start because it's a newer technology so that's the way of the world isn't it it will continuously improve all of that and have more functions in it I've, i'm seeing some things um i'm hearing things about where there's going to be a lot more around end users being able to see which supplier they're going to buy from and their credentials so i'm going to raise an order and it's going to say okay if you buy from that company this is their sustainability rating this is maybe some news article they've been in the news for some bad press do you really want to buy from them you could buy from this supplier instead and that's where the software um, I think are going to be more about pushing information in front of end users before they make the purchase. Yeah. Um, so it's probably the next next evolution of it. Yeah. And again, I can see that. I can see that tying in. You know, now with even you know, lots of uh, bad press recently around the companies suffering from data breaches and people just still mm. not being aware, despite you know, yeah. I see it all the time. Basically, you know, on LinkedIn. I've I've put stuff out there on LinkedIn, you know, but if the only way people are going to realise that there's this change is coming is if it's literally smacked down in front of them, and from a business perspective, oh, yeah. when they're buy, when they want to when they need to buy something, they want to do it. Let's face it, they want to do it as quickly as they can, especially if the money's in the bank. They just want to get it done, yep. paid, done, and delivered. Um, having that information in front of them is just yeah. It's yeah. I think it is the next evolutionary step. Um, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's all coming, and more and more of it, I think. So, yeah, so it's it's a good time for the procurement software industry. I think it's just where we've obviously everyone's had a bumpy ride over the last few years. There's just so so much instability in general in in the markets, isn't there? So I think that's 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 what that's what a lot of things come down to at the moment. But hopefully, coming out the other end of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're recording this in early March. Can you believe it's almost three years since we've gone into lockdown? It 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 kind of feels like it was only yesterday, but at the same time, it feels so long ago. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. So many things changed as well, didn't they, overnight? And it's yeah. sort of like we didn't, you know, what was happening in 2019 is not what we're going to go back to ever, I don't think. I mean, it's nice to be doing some li- live events again, seeing people face to face. Um you know, that sort of thing's a brilliant getting back out there again, but it's nothing like it used to be. And you don't, I mean, client visits, I don't really, I don't think I've, I think I've done maybe one client visit in the last six months. They just, uh, they much prefer you to pop onto a screen, tell them what they want to know, and then off you pop again. Yeah. It's, it's easy. It's so much easier for them. Um, you know, especially regulations. <laughs> I wouldn't do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> never, never again. Uh, but, yeah no i think that's the last time i put on a suit for my sister's wedding yeah <laughs> so. so what's next for max what's next for psl group okay so yeah we are really excitedly de- developing training courses as i said at the start we are really keen to impart our knowledge onto other companies and sell that as a training course that helps them do better in their particular marketplace that's going to start with group one-to-one training and mentoring and with particular senior individuals but very quickly into group training across sales teams business development teams accounts payable teams procurement teams so it's all of that sort of knowledge and education um as i said at the start the procurement stuff we love we enjoy it's our background but there's there's a lot of complex work work and and um on the school procurement stuff especially when you get to office supplies 
yes, there's source to pay tools. Yes, there's purchase to pay tools handling all the data. But when you get into line detail of contract analysis, there's only one way to do it, unfortunately, and that's line by line on the spreadsheet still, because the companies do so much with changing products around, changing codes. There's, there's all sorts that goes on to make more money. So unless you can spot that, you're going to get caught by it so that's what we do we have to go into that level of detail i don't see that changing i see it as a something we can train other people on to get more people involved in that or train other people so they can do it in their own jobs um, and that's really where we're headed as a business as sort of away from um, manual procurement and more into training coaching um, and consultancy so just advising companies on perhaps what software they could use um, we've got a number of different software partners that we can introduce depending on the fit, depending on what the requirement is. Um, as I said in this conversation, all of those different software platforms are all different. They're all meant for different markets. You would look at them all and go, oh, they're all the same, but they're not. They all do different, slightly different things, they're all meant for slightly different applications. They'll work better in different industries and different accounts. And for me, that's having a almost like a Swiss army knife where you can go into those businesses and go, okay, this is what you need you need something else um and then that that works nicely for us because we can keep making good business introductions whilst focusing the main time and effort on working with the sort of aspiring keen young individuals that want the training that want the coaching that need our help um there's just such a a rewarding feeling from coaching training people man, uh, not leading people i was gonna say managing not managing leading people showing them what leadership is and um that's the bit i've always enjoyed enjoyed in all my job roles and we're just so so keen to do more of that so that's really where the business is is headed um so that'll be us this year i expect brilliant thank you so much uh for coming on to the show today i know you're a busy man we were chatting for just under 40 minutes so i think we'll leave it there um, we'll just give you one final opportunity to say anything you want. I'll give you 30 seconds. Well, thank you very much for your time. Um, do check us out, PS Learning, PSL on LinkedIn. I'm sure you'll see our posts. If you if you uh, want to find out any more, please reach out to me. Thanks very much for your time. Lovely. And um, we'll leave it there. Thanks again so much, mate. See you soon. Thanks, Tony. Cheers, mate. See you soon. Our tip of the episode. So before we get on to my tip of the episode, I just want to thank Max for his time and for providing some insight into digital procurement. Next time around, we're going to have a couple of very special guests coming onto the show who are going to be giving us some information about something really cool coming in April. But on to my tip. My tip this time is to get your stuff in order. By this, I mean your processes, how you organize your teams and your projects and things like that. You can do this using cloud-based project management software, which will not only improve your organization, it can increase your productivity and your efficiency as well. Tools like Asana and Basecamp allow businesses to collaborate on projects in real time, track progress, and also assign tasks to team members. Now, these tools also have other features like automated reminders, time tracking, and more. All of this can help businesses and business owners stay on top of deadlines and make decisions based on the data. Also, cloud-based project management software can be accessed from anywhere with an internet connection, which means that team members can be working remotely and there's no disruption. 
So if you haven't looked at cloud-based project management software, take a look because it can streamline your workflow, improve that communication, and save time and resource. What's not to like? So that's my tip this time. Get your stuff in order, your processes, etc., etc. Anyway, we have now reached the end of this episode. I've been Tony, the IT Smart Guy. Thank you so much for watching or listening. Thank you again to Max. Uh, I hope you found the, uh, the episode insightful and look forward to speaking to you again next time round. If you have enjoyed the show, or even if you haven't, please let us know by leaving a review because it's the only way I can get better at doing this. And as always... If you haven't already, please give us a subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the IT Smart Guy podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'd love for you to like and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice.